guys, if you've got your Bibles, take them out. Turn to the book of Nehemiah. If you have no idea that Nehemiah was even in the Bible, then turn to the book of Psalms and make a couple left-hand turns and you will be there. While you're doing that, any uh, basketball players in the group? Anybody like to play basketball? Well, you know, every week it's dawned on me that I ask these types of questions and nobody raises their hand for anything. So all I can really, I, I guess it's basically the group that, what do you do? Do you play Xbox? Any Xbox players? You don't do that either. Okay, there's like three. What do you people do? I have no idea. I, I, maybe I'm at the invasion of the body snatchers, wrong place. I don't know. Well, listen, I loved playing sports growing up, uh, but there's one sport that I didn't play. I'll let you think about what that would have been as you look at me while we pray. Father, thank you so much for all of those that you have brought to Impact Church, Lord, and uh, Father, the launch team that you're building, for what I believe, what I know, Lord, is going to be a great, great movement uh, for your kind of church, Father. Charlotte, as you well know, and I think this is your heart, Lord, doesn't really need a, another church with nearly a thousand, Father, but certainly need a church that's all about your purposes and believes it and loves it and just moves out in faith with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that's us, God. It's what we want to be for your name's sake. So we pray you'll be here in our midst as you so much were in worship, Lord. And speak to our hearts, and Father, let us not learn facts about your word today, but let us be transformed by your word. And so I pray that what I say uh, would be your words, not mine, in Jesus' name. Amen. Got it yet? What's the sport? I heard somebody say football. No, I played football. I'm, I'm, I, was, I brought the water to the players out on the, uh, <laughs> no, I didn't do that. I was actually, a, hang on a second. This is a tiny little stand, so we're going to move some things around. I played uh, wide receiver in that. That was actually something that was easy for me. There was another sport. All right, maybe this will help. I, I'm not a big evolution guy. I'm a creation guy. I'm not an evolution guy for obvious reasons. It's hard for me to believe. I, I believe a painting has a painter. I think that's logical. It's hard for me to believe that you can spill paint and that there would be a painting that comes with that. So I believe that this earth and creation has a designer. This design has a designer. But nevertheless, natural selection sort of opted me out of a sport. Now look at me again and tell me what that was. Shouldn't have been ping pong. I'm pretty good at ping pong, if that's a dare for you to play. No, it's basketball. Not only was I not that great at basketball, you know, because there's a gravity problem with me. I can't leave the ground. I have no jump. There's, that's it. I've got a, a disease, and I can't get off the ground. But also, I don't get it. I don't get basketball. I know it's not like, you know, calculus or something, but it might as well have been for me. Just the, the whole idea of it. Well, there's apparently something in it, and I know I'm going to butcher it, but because all of these messages in Nehemiah have begun with a P word, I had to come up with a P word, so I decided, and you'll get it, I decided to call it post-op. That's obviously, that's something in basketball I hear. I just don't know what it is. Post up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a shot. I think it's when you get, <laughs> I'm going to butcher this, and you get basketball players. Oh, wait, there weren't any, so you don't care. So if you go up next to the, as close to the basket, and your back is facing the hoop, and you're sort of out, you're in position to try and get the ball and score, right? Mark, you played. I see you back there. You played basketball a little bit, right? And would that be correct? More or less. The way he said it, I think it's, it's more or less than more. Um, but basically, it's going to be called post-up. Why don't we forget post-up and call it position? Call it position. Because this week is all about what position the people of God are going to get into. 
And the problem is, if you don't know the position, then you're obviously not going to be able to defend against the things that Satan's going to throw at you. That, that's just obvious. But worse than that, if you don't know, if you don't have enough people to get into position, you can't even get started. It's the 80-20 principle. Raise your hand if you've heard of that. It's in churches. Well, that's interesting. You all have heard of the 80-20 principle. Then what does it mean? It means mumble, 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 right? No, no. What it means, I heard it over here. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That's typical of most churches. That's not typical of a movement. In fact, that cannot happen in a movement. You cannot have a movement when only 20% of the people are motivated to move. And that's, you, can't, you could not have rebuilt the wall um, for Nehemiah if only 20% of the people were all he could have motivated for this great job. He had to get all of them. So a movement means people move. Now, I am a history buff. I love studying historical events like wars and such. World War II um, wasn't going well for the good guys. Hitler's Germany was advancing, and uh, other nations were beginning to throw their lot in with the madman, like Italy and Japan, and they were just, I think a lot of the reason they did it is because if you can't beat them, join them, and so they were seeing Hitler just plow over, and Germany and the Nazis just plow over every country they came in contact with, so they just start saying, well, the, the uh, world's going to change, and I guess we'll throw in with these guys. Uh, and, and at one point, I think in the darkest point of the war, it looked like England was alone, didn't it? Geography buffs? You seen England? It's like a little island, a little strip of land, and they're against basically, it looks like almost the world uh, at this point. And they're begging us. I don't know if you knew this, but they're begging the United States to get involved in this war. Please help us. And to our shame, for the longest time, we didn't. We didn't. We weren't motivated. And what was the event, gang, that motivated us? It was Pearl Harbor. It's one little thing, and all of a sudden, we wanted to get involved. Most would agree that the United States uh, entering the war turned the tide. Why were we so powerful? I'm going to give a couple things here. We weren't the strongest nation at the time. Maybe you think we were, but we weren't even second, third, or fourth. We, we weren't. We were just really ramping up at that time. We had a lot of potential, but the most powerful nation, obviously, was Germany. They were by far the, by far the most technologically advanced nation, coming up with things that really wouldn't be perfected in other nations for 20 or 30 more years after the war. So this is kind of bizarre. We weren't the largest army. Most of our naval fleet and our air force had just been completely decimated in a couple of hours at Pearl Harbor. So we weren't any of that. So what was it? Well, there's several factors, uh, but two of the greatest were that we were still mostly a Christian nation, so we prayed. We're still mostly a Christian nation at that time. Now, since then, we've gone through cycles where we're described as a... Um, sort of a anti-Christian, or, or a post-Christian nation, and then a post-modern nation, and then an anti-Christian nation. We're living in the times right now, we're almost an anti-Christian nation as our kids are growing up. But at that time, we were known as, we're mostly still living by our values, we're a Christian nation. And so when we got attacked, what did we do? We hit our knees. And as a nation, we prayed. And I really haven't seen anything close in 50, 60 years. The only thing that kind of came close, and it was shamefully in a little bit of a wimpy way, you guys just look way too tired, so I'm getting closer. And then I'm going to yell. And it dawns on me that I can yell all I want, but the speakers are still back there. So I'll take this down and yell at you right there to keep you guys awake. So we're still mostly a Christian nation, so we, we prayed. Uh, second, uh, though most of the able-bodied men went off to war to fight, what do you think the women did? <laughs> 
during World War II. They worked. They did what was back then. Now, I'm not saying, you know, I know we've advanced a lot here, but back then they did what was considered the work of the men. They went into the factories. They built stuff. They built the tanks, and they built the ships, and there was no 2080 principle in America at that time. Everybody got involved, and we became a force to be reckoned with. So a couple of things are necessary to sustain a movement of God, and I would much rather be a part of a movement than a gathering. I mean, a gathering is just people sitting around, maybe playing church, sitting around, going through the motions and doing things. A movement has God's Holy Spirit fueling the thing, and it's fun, and it's alive. And those two things, write them down, note takers. Now, note, I'm not even going to ask how many of you are note takers. I'll get hurt. You'll hurt my feelings. Number one, prayer. And number two, everybody participating. Number one, prayer. And number two, everybody is in on this thing. So if all are in agreement in these two areas, great things can happen for God despite any opposition. Despite anything that Satan would throw at it, great things can still happen for God if you pray and bathe it in prayer uh, and everybody's involved. The Jews, under Nehemiah's leadership, had all kinds of opposition. I mean, we're just sort of, we've been getting into the last couple of weeks, but we're just sort of going to get into in the next couple of weeks the opposition. Everywhere they turned, it seemed like people were against the simple wall getting rebuilt. I mean, all kinds of people had reasons. There were people that made money because they were powerful, so they didn't want to see the wall rebuilt because they couldn't shake down the people and, and collect money from them anymore. There were people that were just too lazy uh, so they didn't want to see the, the uh, wall rebuilt. There were people that were just too afraid to see the wall rebuilt because they thought it would make people mad because they thought it would, would ruffle feathers. There were all kinds of reasons that people didn't want it rebuilt. And because of that, gang, though many people came in to rebuild the wall, for 140 years, the wall didn't get rebuilt. Leaders came, they rallied people, they tried to rebuild it, and it didn't happen. Now, some of you might be sitting there... Thanks, Pastor Walls. That's a real big deal. I have a fence at home. Are you going to preach on that next? No, this was a big deal to rebuild a wall because right now, as, as a nation, we're considered the superpower, the last remaining superpower power in the world. Uh, a lot of the reason is because we have about 10,000 what? Red Bulls. No, we have 10,000 what? Is this really that hard? I heard three of you. Yeah, we have 10,000 nuclear warheads. And there's, not, and there's other nations that have a lot of that. But that's our biggest thing. That's kind of a threat. So we're a superpower for them. What was your superpower weapon back then, do you think? All right, guys. I'm going to give you the answers for a little while. And then I'm going to want you to participate a little bit. It was a wall. It was just a wall. Because honestly, if the enemy had to come and use all their resources and strength and manpower throwing people at the wall to get killed, then they probably couldn't overpower a city. But if you didn't have a wall, then people could just waltz right in and disrupt your life. They didn't have a wall for 140 years, so they couldn't worship in security. They couldn't trade in security. They couldn't even get the city rebuilt of Jerusalem. It was just they were a laughingstock as God's people. And so Nehemiah knew if we're ever going to be the chosen people, if a movement's ever going to start here again, or pick up where it left off. We've got to get this wall rebuilt. Now, I'll tell you what. There's verses in the Bible that say, ask anything in my name and you'll do it. And, and how many of you, come on, now you better raise your hands. You better, not, we're going to put lie detectors on you people. How many of you have ever prayed and stuck Jesus' name on the prayer and said, I did it and, and, th and, it, and just tried, tried? Anybody? Like, Lord, please do this. Okay, this is what I call delayed honesty. The hands are popping up one by one. It's taking a little bit. So I'll lead the way. Yeah, I mean, I've done that. Growing up, I thought, you know, Lord, I, I think this, I really need this. This is really something I want. 
And so I'd pray, and then I'd stick Jesus' name on the other side of that and say, well, you got to do it. You said anything in your name. But, gang, that means anything according to his will, anything according to his will. So here's what Nehemiah knew. These are God's people. We are God's people. We have a mission. This is his temple, and we're supposed to be a light on a hill for all the nations. We're not being that. So, number one, I know God wants to do this. If you know that and you begin to pray for this like he did, then it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Scripture says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I mean, if it's God's work and you're a believer, so that's God's work, you will get to heaven. You will grow more like Christ. It's absolutely going to happen. He promises it. So they get the wall done, and worship is restored in Jerusalem, and security is restored to the people, and it happens in 52 days. 52 days. It's an amazing movement of God. And listen to what it was like when the work was accomplished. You got to skip ahead. Look at chapter 12, verse 43, and you'll see what the atmosphere was like at what I would call the grand opening of the Jerusalem wall. I love this. Many sacrifices were offered on that joyous day, for God had given the people cause for great joy. The women and children also participated in the celebration, just like we had the children up here. Um, up front worshiping with us, and the joy of the people of Jerusalem could be heard far away. You guys, about 15 minutes ago, did something I'm just not used to hearing as a pastor. You know what it was? You, you sang. I actually heard you. I'm in the front, and I could hear you singing in the back. There's joy in this place. There's joy in the worship. And you know what I can't say? I can't say it's because of all the bells and whistles, because we don't have any. Look around. Well, we got some stuff. Yeah, I got a microphone and a music stand. Pretty much. And Tom has put some things up here, and, and, and people are working really hard, but we don't have a lot of the bells and whistles that today people think you have to have to make church. But God is here. And we have God's people, and I'll trade all of that for this. Let me tell you one thing I really want, and I think it's going to happen, because I know God wants this too. I want God to bless this church so much that people talk about what he did. Think about that for a moment. I want God to bless this church so much that people out there, and I'm talking about lost people, are talking about what God did. Have you heard what God's doing at that place that meets at a middle school and now meets here and here and here? It's just blowing up, and God's favor is on those people. I want people to talk about it, not just believers, but unbelievers. So we're in the book of Nehemiah, and, and, and a kind of a synopsis, you know, they're building this wall. They want to get respect. They want to return worship there. And I think sometimes people read this book, and here's what I think happens that's bad. It reads real quick like everything went pretty good for Nehemiah and his people, sort of like the NFL team. What was the season they were undefeated? It was the Miami Dolphins, I think it was. It was the 72, and they just cruised. They didn't lose a game. They didn't lose a Super Bowl. It was, it was called the, it was the perfect Season. And so we read this and we go, well, this is just like that. They kind of cruised to the building of the wall 52 days. Like they won the Super Bowl, people celebrated, that's it. No, it wasn't like that at all. They encountered incredible opposition. And listen, anything worth doing, especially a movement for God, is going to get Satan's attention. In fact, that's one of the ways you can find out if it's, a, if it's worth doing. Is there any opposition? Listen, if you're doing church and nobody cares, something's wrong. Uh, I mean, my whole ministry time, if I preached and I didn't get any emails telling me what a jerk I am, then it was a bad week. 
You know, and sometimes I'd get a lot and I'd go, ooh, I must have pushed some buttons this way. It was a good week. People at least got stirred up. God's word is like a sword. It, it offends. It cuts when things are going on in my life. And I've had people say, you shouldn't have preached about this in my life. And my response is, how do I know what's going on in your life? But God does. God does. And so at this stage, Impact Church is a church, but it's a church preparing for a grand opening. A grand opening that we hope to have. So I see some new faces here this week. A grand opening we hope to have around Easter of next year. So we're in what's called the launch phase, the organization phase of a church where teams are formed uh, and vision is shared, where impact life groups are joined, hopefully by everybody, and everyone's finding their place on the wall. So for the next five, six months, that's what we're going to do. We're going to build these teams. Everybody's going to find their place on the wall. And here's what we believe about this church. Here's what we know. Listen, when you go to churches and the paid people, the pastors do all the ministry and the people don't, that's a church that's followed the American business model. That's not a church that's followed the Word of God. When you go to the book of Acts, chapter 2, and the church just starts and, and, and Peter preaches at Pentecost and it just blows up, guess how many ministers there were? Well, the first church was 3,000, right? Yeah, chapter 2, Acts, 3,000, 3,000 were baptized, so everybody that got saved was baptized, not 50% of them, not 60, all of them, that's how you knew it was real, and then they all ministered together, that's pretty powerful, and it blew up in Jerusalem, it absolutely blew up, some historians think that within 20 years, 80% of that city was saved, 80%, could you imagine 80% of Charlotte coming to know the Lord, I mean, I, I would probably change more than Charlotte, wouldn't it, that probably changed the face of the globe. It, it would change the whole, if, if, if a movement like that happened. So we're in that phase right now because we want to, by the time we launch as a church, we want to be able to serve who we expect God's going to bring. And we're praying for a lot of people because we're praying to be a different kind of church lined up with God's purposes. So we want everybody who's here in the launch phase to be a minister. Every member's a minister. So if you look back there, you'll see, everybody turn around, you'll see we have different booths back there. Not a lot this week, though we're supposed to have all of them. Here's the life group uh, booth over here. Uh, there's the prayer booth back in the middle back there, Impact Kids Zone. We need a lot of help there because we are blessed with children under the age of 11. See, there's a lot of people starting to join us. We're in our sixth week now of the launch team. I think there's more kids back there than there are adults sitting in here right now. We're just blessed with kids, so we need help with that. And what's my dream? Well, I'm hoping by the time that we get to the uh, grand opening that there's at least 400, 500 of us, and we're all serving. Because that's the army of volunteers we're going to need to handle who's going to come in uh, off the streets and who the Lord's going to bring and who all you are going to invite. And you are going to invite because we also have a culture of inviting here. We believe in that. When can we stop inviting, Pastor Rob? When you can prove to me there's no lost people out there, I will say we can stop inviting. Good luck with that. So we're all getting ready in this phase to post up, uh, if you will. That's the phase that we're in right now. Or positions, everyone, if you're a non-basketball person like me. So let's go over some of the positions that Nehemiah got people ready for. Uh, we need to position ourselves to, number one, defend from outside threats. That's the first thing he did. He positioned the people to defend from outside threats. The biggest threat they had starting out was all kinds of nations surrounding that city that wanted to demolish them. And those nations didn't care very much as long as there was no wall. As long as there was no wall, they could extort the people. They could beat the people. They could take money. They could rob them. Uh, they couldn't worship. They couldn't get um, 
the power of their God involved, they could have, but they didn't think they could. So as long as they had that kind of situation, they're happy. When that wall started going up, enemies started growing. And so Nehemiah said, we need to position ourselves to defend against enemies on the outside. Last several weeks, we've been dealing with defending against the three stooge offense. You guys remember who these are? Sandy, Toby, and Gesh. Lions and tigers and bears. Sandy, Toby, and Gesh, oh my. It's these guys. It's Sandballot, Tobiah, and Geshem. Sandballot, Tobiah, and Geshem. These are leaders of nations surrounding Jerusalem, and they're cantankerous, to say the least. And they might as well have been lions and tigers and bears because they headed up large, powerful, organized armies of at least two nations. Uh, so now, as we get into chapter, the middle of part of chapter 4, adding to Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem are the Arabians, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites, which are large nations in that time. So now there's not just obnoxious people, there's large armies. Now what does Jerusalem have going for them? Is it going to be an even match? No, this is like the best NFL team. Who would that be right now, Atlanta? Wow. This is like the best, <laughs> that was the most offensive thing I guess I've said all day. Uh, this is like the best NFL team, you fill in the blank, versus peewee football, pretty much. At this stage, uh, the people of Jerusalem, they're just a small ragtag group of unorganized moms, dads, and kids. That's what they are. That's all they are. I mean, humanly speaking, you can wipe them out with almost no effort. They might as well have been facing literal giants. And what does God have them do as they face the giants? He has them build a wall and then get in position on the wall. Take a look. In the Old Testament, Nehemiah had the task of building a stone wall around his city for protection. But he didn't have enough people or resources or time. But because each person worked on the stone wall that was in front of their house, they got it done in record time. That's what you're going to do. On defense, you have to resolve. Nothing gets by you as an individual. Nothing gets by us as a team. I need you to build me a stone wall. I want that music to keep playing. That was getting me pumped up for some reason. Uh, gang, that's what we need you to do. That's what we need to do as a family. We need to build a stone wall because this is a movement that is worthy. God is in this, so I promise you, I already know more than I've ever known at any time in my life that Satan is somewhat interested in Impact Church. Boy, do I know. How do you know, Pastor Rob? Because he's been trying to defeat it since day one. He's been trying to discourage people since day one, and yet we just keep growing through it. God's doing an amazing work, but any work uh, worth doing is going to draw the evil one's attention. So position is everything, is what Nehemiah is saying. So let me tell you what people sometimes do uh, that hurts them position-wise. Sometimes believers go up against the world, and they feel defeated because they forget who their father is. You know, how many of you, when you're a little kid, you're like, my dad can beat up your dad. You ever heard that? Any of you guys ever do that stuff? Well, how many of you are adults and you're still doing that? Because that, that is neat. Well, it's funny because I guess all kids do this, but my son Nathan did that. He's sitting in front. He did it for the longest time. And then, you know, he's, he's like, stand up here a minute, Nathan. He's almost my height now, and he's getting bigger. And he's starting to, you know, look at me and go, you know, Dad, I'm not sure you can take half those guys that I, that I really, that I was saying that about. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of putting it together. But even maybe six months ago, he would embarrass me with things. Well, it, it was a lot younger. People come in, it'd be like an NFL player, you know, six foot everything, you know, it, seven feet tall, 350 pounds ago. It'd be in grocery store or something. And Nathan would always go, Dad, you could take him, huh? <laughs> While he's there. 
while I'm talking to him, Dad, you're stronger than him. And I'm like, can he see? Does he have any kind of perception? Can he see this at all? So we believe that. But, but listen, if you're a Christ follower, your heavenly Father can take him. Who's behind you? The King of kings and the Lord of lords is backing you up. And I think we forget that. And so we forget our position. And our position is that if he is for us, exactly what can defeat us? Nothing. Nothing can defeat us if he is for us. And he is for us. Nehemiah 4, 8 through 9. Let's go down a little bit here. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem. So I, I just talked about, I've renamed them Sandy, Toby, and Gesh, and all their people. They're plotting together now, and they've decided, you know, they're doing it. They're building the wall, so let's just kill them. I mean, all the slander, all the gossip hasn't really worked, so now we're just going to have to kill them. So they plot to come against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it at the very least. And so what did they do? It says, and we pray to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. Nehemiah positioned guards committed to the defense of the movement of God. And what were these guards doing? Number one, write it down because it's so important. They were praying. And that's not just number one. That's ongoing. It happens all the time. Prayer is the most important ingredient of any movement. Of God, period. It's the most important thing. And yet the missing ingredient that I've found in ministry in most churches, I mean, it's just missing. And in fact, if you try to get a prayer movement going, it's like pulling teeth. People don't want to pray, which tells me you may not know who your Heavenly Father is. You may have forgotten. You may have gotten older like Nathan did and sort of looked, and your perception is maybe God can't take uh, other people. Maybe he's not that strong, or maybe it's equal. Maybe I ought to just keep my mouth shut. Maybe I shouldn't be that bold for God, but your God is big and powerful and mighty. Don't lose sight of that. Pray. And your Heavenly Father's not up there going, ask me for stuff, and I'll set you up, and then I'm going to kick the chair out from underneath you. I'm going to pull it out. I love when you ask for stuff. I love setting you up. It's so funny to see you fail. But is that the vision we have of God? Sometimes I think we do. I'm not going to sit down, God. You're going to pull the chair out. You think that? We have a Heavenly Father that loves us. My wife and I have been going through prayer intensely in the last, especially her, the last few weeks, and she's telling me about how God wants you to come to Him and ask for blessings, and ask for blessings. He's not even like a good earthly father. Sometimes, you know, I'll bring home something for, for the kids, Nathan and Juliana. Maybe I'll bring home a dessert, and I'll say, you guys need to split this. Here you go. Get two forks, that kind of thing. Did you know God's not like that? God's not up there going, I only got one piece of pie up here, all right? So you guys got to split it among yourselves. How limited are God's resources to bless his children? Answer me. How limited are they? Well, they're unlimited, right? So he says, here's one for you. Here's another one. Do you want more? Then I've got more here. And he will bless you. So it's this idea of asking for a blessing. And when he blesses you, ask for more. Not health, wealth, and prosperity. Man, if you've been with me for a while, you know I don't believe that bunk. It's not in the Bible. But that doesn't mean you don't have a Heavenly Father that wants to bless you. He does with things that are really good. There's another thing I was learning about prayers that sometimes the Holy Spirit intercedes for us when we pray. How many of you are aware of that? Do you ever pray? Some of you, are you ever praying you don't know? I should just leave it at that. You ever pray? <laughs> you ever pray and you don't know what you're praying for? I mean, you just, you're hurt. You're confused, and so you pray, and you're just sitting there going, God, I'm just hurting. I don't even know what to ask. At that point, you may ask for something stupid if you're like me. God, I don't know how to get this. We can't pay our bills. Lord, just have me win the Powerball is all I'm saying. I mean, and 300 million, I, 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 nothing else comes to mind. Well, there's a, a word in the Greek there that literally means strike through. You know, one of the things the Holy Spirit will do is he'll, he'll strike through your prayer and write in another one. 
I mean, literally what he knows you need and is good for you and strike through the knuckleheaded one you prayed because you don't know. Remember when I was in high school, uh, I was dating this, this one cheerleader and, and, you know, here I am only 16 years old and I was like, God, she's the one for me, which is embarrassing to admit at this point in my life. But you look back there and go, and a lot of times we're really young. Anybody marry their high school sweetheart here? Yeah? You ruined my illustration. I was going to help nobody. Forget it. <laughs> so it does happen. But it's very rare. And so I'm there, and I'm thinking this is great. Well, this, this girl, you know, who, who received Christ and, and moved on for the Lord and all that has, has not lived for him ever since. And I look back, and I, for some reason I think of this uh, Garth Brooks song. Sometimes I thank God. You know, that was for unanswered prayer. It usually sounds a lot better than that, that song. But sometimes I thank God for the prayers that he doesn't answer. And by the way, the, I don't think there's such thing as a prayer that God doesn't answer. I think there's prayers that God says, wait. And that seems like he doesn't answer. I mean, I think there's prayers where God says, no. And so we like to say, well, he didn't answer. No, he didn't give you the answer you wanted. I look back at my life on so many prayers that I prayed and said, this is it, that the Holy Spirit struck through and said, no, that's not going to be good for you. Michelle is good for me. I love my wife. And I uh, wouldn't have known, Michelle, if I insisted and pursued things that weren't good and didn't let the Holy Spirit strike through. So prayer is so powerful. So Nehemiah goes first right to the secret weapon he's relied on all along. He prays. And he prayed, and the work kept right on going as he prayed. So listen, as he prayed, he did not find a corner somewhere that a lot of believers did and kind of get in the prayer lotus position. That's a little bit of let go and, and let God. You ever seen Christians like And they don't do anything. At all. They just say, well, if God wants to move, he'll tell me. Well, then what are you doing while you're waiting? Because this is an active praying. It means you keep serving the Lord. You don't sit there and wait. So he kept on working on the wall while he prayed. And friends, we're going to pray while building this church. We're going to pray the whole time. And we're not going to get to a point where we go, hey, Pastor Rob, you know, last week there's a thousand people here. Can we stop now? No. All right, just checking. When can we stop? When you're dead. And when you're standing before the Lord and you're done, and he says, well done, part of what hopefully he'll say well done for is that you prayed. You can stop praying when you get there because you can talk to him in person. This is even better. So we're going to pray for the life of this church because prayer is the fuel in the engine of any great movement of God. It just is. And the people cheered. We're going to pray. Well, the people didn't cheer. And the people seldom cheer about prayer. But how many of you have heard about Spurgeon, the great preacher Spurgeon? I guess he wasn't that great. In, he's uh, actually back in the, in the late uh, 1800s, early 1900s in England, had a church of about 5,000. His sermons were read by over 300 million. By the way, a church of 5,000 back then it might as well be a church of 40 or 50,000. They didn't have the, the microphones and everything. So he would just use his booming voice, an incredible preacher of the word. And people would sometimes go and visit the church in England and just, they wanted to meet this man and this movement of God that started through this man and ask him, what, how did this happen? So unusual. It changed a nation. God used Spurgeon to change a nation. And he'd give them a tour of, of the church there and he would take them down to this room kind of in the basement. In fact, it was called the boiler room. And uh, he would say, you want another cigarette? Let me show you this one room. I, you know, they feel like they're going into sort of the engine room of a large ship or something. He goes, what happens behind this door is the power of the whole church. 
and you would open it up, and on any given Sunday, there were 700 people in there on their knees praying. 700 people. That's quite a ratio, isn't it? In fact, you might say, well, there's 5,000. Well, they had a couple of services, so it just about matched who was coming to church. I've never heard of anything like that in the last 100 years. Although there is one guy, how many of you heard of David Platt? Okay, radical. You look at that, people look at radical. If you've heard him speak, it's sort of like drinking from a fire hose a little bit. I mean, he's just a, an incredible teacher, but he comes at you fast. Uh, not that entertaining. He doesn't make a lot of jokes, and there's a movement of God happening in his church. How did it start, do you think? Prayer. He went to China. He taught at the underground church where people can be persecuted, prisoned, or maybe even killed for their faith. And they want him to teach all night long. And they're willing to stay up all night long. And he was only going to stay for about a week. They had him stay for about three weeks and teach through the entire Bible. That's how he learned to be a fire hose preacher. Because he said, you just keep giving it and we'll listen. We'll, as long as we can stay awake. Uh, it's, it's illegal in certain places to even own a Bible. So they sw- and he saw one thing. They don't pray for five minutes there. They pray all night long. Prayer is such a huge part of their ministry. And when he got back, he was just torn up. He already had a church of a couple thousand. But he was just torn up as he looked at it. He thought, we don't pray at all. Well, we've got five or ten or people praying in this huge church. And, and he realized that it can be a big church. You can grow a big church in America where nothing's really going on. He said, I just don't want to give my life to that. I want there to be power in this. I want it to be different. And so he started a prayer group, and he preached from his heart about what happened in China. And pretty soon there were so many people there, they had to add another one. There's standing room only, and that is what I long for, for Impact Church. I long for that. Now, this is a cool setup. There's a gym here. You've got this stage here, and on the other side is like a mirror room. That's where the prayer team meets right now. It's another gym for the elementary school. It's great utilization of space. And so they pray in a room as large as this room on the other side. So I kind of have this dream. I thought, wouldn't it be cool if there was many people over there praying, that we just keep growing, and there's, there's hundreds over there praying while hundreds are over here being ministered to? So I say, well, I mean, that's almost impossible. How can that happen? Well, that is impossible with people's hearts now, but nothing's impossible with God. And if that did happen, it would be a movement. It would be powerful. It would be incredible. So we're going to do something a little bit weird uh, for the next, say, five minutes here. Usually I don't stop the sermon right in the middle. Some of you are going, you're only like in the middle because look at your, no. Okay, I'm a little further than the middle. But we're going to pause, and we're going to do something together as a group, and it's going to be awkward and weird, which I enjoy watching. And in the next five minutes or so, as we break, I want you to watch a video just kind of over your shoulder a little bit that has scriptures about prayer and the power of it. And I want you to, during that video, when God moves you, and I I hope and pray it's every single person in here because this will be a defining moment. Right now is is a really defining moment for the future of Impact Church. So I'm a little bit nervous because it's like everything hangs on the line right now. And I'm hoping it's not a herd mentality. I'm hoping it's from the heart that people get up. And you see that little booth back there where Nicole is? Wave your hand, Nicole. Wave it, wave. It's our little tiny impact prayer uh, table. How many, if you're a launch team where every member's a minister, and Leslie, who leads up our prayer ministry, and Philip Baldwin are going back there now, if every member's a minister, how many of, you, of us should be praying, you think? All of us. Every one of us. Maybe not all at once, because some people have to go to church. 
but all of us should be involved in prayer. So go ahead and go kick up the video, and while this is praying, I want you to get up out of your seat and go back to that booth as the Lord leads you, and if you mean it, and sign up for the prayer ministry. for just a couple more minutes because there's a ton of people back there. Um, some of you might be thinking, so when do you want us to get started? Now would be good if you want to go back there. And, and gang, just my one criteria here that I do want you to keep in mind is don't do it if you don't mean it. Now, there's several opportunities in the, on the card there. Some of it is getting the prayer request and interceding on your own throughout the week. Some of it is praying right before the service in a big group, like in the room where I talked about. And there's several other options, so it's not all about just uh, you know, gathering in a group. Maybe some of you are thinking, what if I can't make that group? Well, there's five options. You can make some of it. And again, we all should be praying. Imagine what God could do. So two or three more minutes, and then we're going to keep going on the sermon.
there. I'm going to go ahead and you can keep on going back. Actually, it's not going to bother me throughout the rest of the service if you want to. The video might bother me a little if it keeps going. <laughs> so what else did he do? He prayed. I said there's two things. The other thing he did is he watched. They prayed. They set up a guard who prayed and watched. Watching or looking out in a, in a sense of expectancy for what might happen. The Hebrew word here indicates not only a lookout but also a defense. And it's not sitting there, you know, I, I read a lot of fantasy books, and it, it seems like some of them have the same recipes, the Hobbit-type Fellowship of the Ring. I'm not even going to ask how many of you like that. I, I'm, I used to be a teacher, so I like interaction, which I'm not getting much today. But I do like that. And, and it always seems like people try to get into the city or sneak into the city, and what do you have? You have the sentry, right? And what is the sentry always doing? Just sleeping on the job. And so you wait for him to sleep or not pay attention, and you can get in. But this isn't that. He sets up everybody to be a sentry and says, while you're doing your jobs, no matter what it is, keep a lookout. The enemy is going to try and get in and defeat this thing. Be aware. And so there's specific areas you should be aware in. Here, 412 is what the enemy is doing. At that time, the Jews who lived near them, uh, and this is a different kind of disappointing enemy, came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So they're ready for the enemy, and then all of a sudden they get this other discouraging thing. Who's saying to the Jews inside of Jerusalem, you must return to us? Other Jews. So these are people that are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ saying, the jig is up. This isn't going to work. Come on back home and give this up. You're going to get hurt. You're going to make fools out of yourself. It's not going to work. Uh, it seems not all the threats were military or non-believers. Here there's an opposition of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ uh, who simply have no faith for the movement. They just don't really believe that God can do big things. These are the fans in the stands that I've talked about for years who are made nervous by the true followers of Christ who seem to want to get on the field and play and are serious about this. They're kind of going, listen, we were comfortable, and a little bit of God is okay, but a lot of them makes me nervous. Can you please stop? You're ruining this for everybody else. So they try to undermine the work in a completely different but no less effective way. They whine. They whine. You need to come back to us. That work you're doing is crazy. That man you're following has issues. Return to us. We might be miserable, but we're alive. We might be a broken record, but we're comfortable. So they whine. And when whining doesn't work, they nag. They nag. Hey, Pastor Rob, where do you get that? Is that in the Greek? No, I see it here. It said, they said to us ten times, you must return to us. So I'm not an expert on nagging because I don't really do it, I hope. Uh, at what point, got any naggers here? I didn't think <laughs> At what point does it become nagging? I mean, is it, is it three when you say the same thing three times? Is, is it five? I don't know. I'm not a professional nagger. Is it seven? I, I don't know. Sometimes, I'm not, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to get in trouble there. Uh, think, Rob. Think before you say things. Uh, sometimes, let, this is safe. Sometimes kids can nag, right, parents? Just a little bit. It's designed to wear you down, right, so that they will get what they want. Over and over and over again. And you're just saying, you just asked me for that. I know. Can I really have it? I said no. Yeah, but how about now? It was five minutes ago. You really think I've changed? So it goes on and on and on ten times, nagging them, hoping to wear Nehemiah and the people down. So there might have been danger and threats, nagging and whining for those working on this worthy endeavor of rebuilding the wall. But there was also joy and anticipation of this work. Restoration of God's great vision for the people, what it could be, worshiping again. So the nagging didn't work. Have you ever been involved in something so worthy that even though it was dangerous, even though you thought it might fail, even though it was risky, you'd rather be with that group 
than the whining group that has nothing going in their life, than the group that's safe and comfortable but just has, I mean, I want to live and have my life mean something. I'll bet some of you do too. I want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to see people get saved. You know what's better than 10 people getting saved in my book? 20 people getting saved. You know what's better than 20? 40. Yeah, it's just the more, these people wanted to see God do a great and mighty work. So they knew it was dangerous on the wall, and they knew there were a lot of threats, and they knew it, and humanly speaking, it didn't have much of a chance, but with God, it had 100% of a chance. And they said, you know what? This is an adventure, and we love it. Leave us alone. We're not going to stop this. It's a movement, and you can't stop it either. I'm sure each form of opposition felt like another spiritual weight placed on on these people. I'm sure it did. That's what Satan tries to do, bring opposition and, and, and bend you over and go, man, I don't know if I can do this, and then put another weight, and you're down even more, and then another weight, and you're just so tired, and the goal of Satan is discouragement and doubting, and if he can weigh you down with enough, you'll just, you'll just quit. And I'm positive that each naysayer and doubter of the vision added to that burden that each believer felt working on that wall. But I also know this. Only those who endured ever learned what they were truly capable of in God's strength. Friends, don't give in to the burden to quit. Take a look. So, Coach, how strong is Westview this year? A lot stronger than we are. You already written Friday night down as a loss, Brock? Well, not if I knew we could beat them. Come here, Brock. You too, Jeremy. What, am I in trouble now? Not yet. I want to see you do the death crawl again, except I want to see your absolute best. (laughs) (laughs) What, you want me to go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. (laughs) 50? I can go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. You going to give me your best? I'm going to give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you to do it blindfolded. Why? Because I don't want you giving up at a certain point when you could go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. I get a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right. Let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground. Just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go. Show me good effort. That way, Brock. You keep coming. There you go. It's a good start. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go, Brock. Good strength. That's it, Brock. That's it. Not the 20 yet? Forget the 20. You give me your best. You keep going. That's it. No, don't stop, Brock. You got more in you than that. Hey, done. Just rest in a second. You gotta keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's go. Don't quit till you got nothing left. There you go. Keep moving. Keep moving. That's it. Your very best. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Don't quit till you got nothing left. He's heavy. I know he's heavy. I'm bad out of strength. Then you negotiate with your body to find more strength, but don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going, you hear me? You keep going, you're doing good. You keep going. Do not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. You keep going. Don't quit. Give me your heart. You can. You can. Five more. 
Influential player on this team. If you walk around defeated, so will they. Oh, tell me you can't give me more than what I've been seeing. You just carried a 140 pound man across this whole field on your arms. Brock, I need you. God's gifted you with the ability of leadership. Don't waste it. Coach. Can I count on you? Yes. What is it, Jeremy? I weigh 160. I love that for a lot of reasons. But one of it, if I'm to be honest with you, even leading this thing called Impact Church, there are weeks. Uh, and just this, the sixth week where I have felt like, I don't know if we can do this, God. There are weeks that I've heard things, you know, maybe about myself or my family and thought, you know, it, it, the opposition is too great. Or pridefully, you know, and stubbornly and angrily at God, I've said, I don't need this. Um, we don't deserve this. And I've felt like, you know, it's just too much. If I give in to that, then what the Lord has so clearly shown me that Impact Church can be will never happen. But you know how I don't give in to that? I have the encouragement of a lot of great people. All of us together, and maybe there's a time when I feel like quitting and there's somebody else who's like, well, I'm not going to quit. I'm, I'm soaring right now. I'll lift you up, Pastor Rob. I have never felt more lifted up. I have never felt like more people are around me. I've never felt more loved. My family's never felt more loved in ministry. Even though my wife left for some reason. She's a <laughs> so I want to close with this. It's not a passive kind of watching. It's a working. It's, it's an ongoing with the work. Dan Sutherland, his book, Transitioning, breaks these down into four important areas. I'll just kind of give them to you, and then we'll close. One, first one we've already talked about. We don't need to go into it. It's praying. While you're watching, pray. Don't stop praying. What about the second one? Keep on encouraging. That's what I was just talking about. If you skip back up to verse 14, you see, and I looked and I rose and said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. This is what Nehemiah said. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. In other words, your father's bigger than theirs. Your dad's bigger. Who He's great and he's awesome. And fight for your brothers and fight for your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. And What do I see Nehemiah doing? He's encouraging them. He's a great encourager, a great rallier of the troops. And you can break this encouragement down into a couple of areas. Here's what you see. First of all, he tells them, fear not. Now, this isn't a, a, a naive thing. I remember those T-shirts I used to see, no fear. And you usually see like a 14-year-old kid wearing them. Yeah, I got no fear. <laughs> you going, you punk. You do. Anything, you, you have fear. It's not the absence of fear. It's doing it anyway that is really courage. While it's true that you cannot control what others say or do, you can control how you react to it. You can 
And, man, I've learned that probably over the last couple of months, than, more than any other time in my life. I can't control things, but I can really control how I follow the Lord and what I say and do moving forward. As far as, as, as enemies in your life and my life, they'll answer to God about what they say or do. You will answer to God for how you respond. That's your thing. So Nehemiah encouraged him not to be afraid. Second thing he says, faithfully cling to your father. He said, remember who God is. He'll fight for you. Your dad is tougher than anything they have. If God is for you, nothing can be against you. And finally, he said, focus on your purpose. It's kind of key area of encouragement. In fact, Impact Church wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for the constant encouragement and belief I received from the people of Impact. And, and honestly, I could preach for another hour just telling you how people have encouraged. Somebody go, no, 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 don't do that. So I'll just do a couple. Look back there, and he's not even look. He's work, look at Kendall right there. I know you don't want to do this, Kendall. He's the guy hiding behind Tom. He is. But listen, Kendall, all the technology and stuff that you see, he does. And he's got a full-time job at Bank of America, but now I've given him another one. And he basically edits all these videos and gets them ready. And, and he doesn't have to do that, but he, do, he gets to do it. And he's so fired up and excited. So on your way out, it might be a good thing if you encourage Kendall for all the things that he has done. Or, or it might be a good idea to encourage Nicole. I was talking to Nicole. Wait, I know you don't want to do this. There's Nicole. Nicole's kind of tall. You really can't miss her. She was up there singing and when I was talking to her today, she could barely talk. She barely had a voice. And I thought, what are you going to do? And she said, I'm just going to save it for the five minutes. I got it. And she's going to do it anyway. She's going to get out there and sing. and can't wait to do it. So if you think about it, as you're leaving, encourage her. Thank her for singing when she didn't really have much of a voice. You know, think about, well, I'm not even going to point them out because they, they would definitely not want me to do it. Uh, but Pete and Lisa MacGyver, about an uh, amazing couple. Amazing couple. Um, and honestly, if you've been around this plant for the last couple of weeks, you know what they've done. I mean, they came around the Singleton family in a bit of a bait-and-switch way, and they uh, said, listen, a couple, they knew we were hurting after what happened uh, at the church I pastored before. That's not really a big secret, okay? <laughs> so they're like, what church was that? <laughs> Figured out. And I just devastated, shell-shocked at everything that happened and ready to take a church in California of a couple thousand and ready to move and just get out of here. Except one thing didn't sit well with me at all. It's just God, day and night, the Holy Spirit going, but I am not done with you here. I called you for a vision here, and it's not done. And I said, well, I'm done. Get someone else. And then... Uh, Pete just kept calling. He goes, you know, he'd been calling for a couple of weeks, Pete and Lisa, and saying, would you just come over and let some people love on you and, and, uh, and just see if you're okay? It's just a couple of us. So I go over in there, there's like 40 people in the room. I said, that was, a, that was a bait and switch. And we prayed, and, and, and they loved on us. And they said, would you come back next week and just let us love on you some more? And we'll come back, and there's like 50 or 60 in there. And they said, did you bring your Bible? Well, I mean, I always have my Bible. Just could you teach for like five minutes, which turned into an hour. Imagine that with me. And, and then the next week they said, come again, and we'll just, we'll just kind of have this Bible study. Well, that was about six weeks ago, and there were more people in there. My wife and I had been praying about whether God would have us leave to go to California or stay, and we had already settled in our hearts. If we stay, there's no way we can make it, no way financially. I mean, I didn't get a dime from where I was, so we're done. And yet God said, I don't care. Trust me. Let me take care of you. 
And so we go there and we say, well, here's a crazy idea. And I've wanted to do this thing called impact for the last four years of my life. You think it'd be crazy to take a small group of eight or nine people and start this? That was six weeks ago. No, we've all been praying that you would get it through your head. So this started six weeks ago. About 40, 50 people, 30 or 40 people have been added every week. Do I think it's a movement or a church gathering? I think it's a movement. I really do. And, and, and more importantly than that, gang, there's a, a beautiful scripture. I think it's uh, Genesis 20, 15, right? Genesis 50, 20. So I had breakfast with Byron, and it's one of his favorite verses, too. And it, it's Joseph talking to his brothers. After going through so much trial and heartache, at the very end of it, Joseph was loving his brothers and saying, listen, I'm not going to retaliate. It's not gonna, you guys might have meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And gang, it doesn't really matter how this was born. I promise you it's what God intended all along. It's what he wants and thrilled about it, excited about it. So last couple of things here as we're working on the wall. Um, as we're watching, keep on encouraging. Next thing, keep on working. Won't say much about this, but verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. So they said, well, the enemy's been neutralized. Let's keep on working. The enemies uh, aren't going to be able to get us with the plan they first thought. It didn't mean they went away, but it meant they were neutralized for now. Listen, I've le learned this about bullies. They aren't really interested in prepared victims. Have you ever noticed that? Just look on YouTube and look at all the bullying videos that are out there. Bullies aren't interested in people that, you know, are like a third-degree black belt. They don't really seek those out or jujitsu guys. Bullies want to pick on somebody they know they can beat to make them look good. So if you are prepared and you in Jesus' name are prepared, Satan will flee from you. This is not an equal match. This is not the dark side and the light side. This is not the force. There's God and everybody else is down here, including Satan. Verse 16 through 18, from that day on, uh, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, the shields, the bows, the coats of mail, and the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded into such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon in the other, and each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. So it's not that they leave the wall and the construction project and go, okay, for now we're in a season of fighting, we're going to war. They said, we're going to do both. We're going to keep on building this church while we look out for how Satan might try to stop it. Final thing, keep on leading. Keep on leading. Might seem like a no-brainer, but one thing I've learned about those who oppose the Lord's work is that one of the ways they can distract us is to lure our focus away from those we are leading to those we cannot lead. Think about it, right? To get your focus off those you're called to lead. Maybe you have a life group and you're called to lead them, but there's a problem over with people you can't lead, and you're focusing on them. Well, what happens to your life group? It falls apart. They want to follow you. They want to do great things, but you're not even nourishing in them or growing them. What does that mean for me? Focus on Impact Church. Focus on you all because you're ready to charge. You're ready to be led. Don't focus on people who are not interested in being led. And in all of these, never stop watching. Because you're not just watching for what the enemy can do. You're watching for what God's going to do. And you want to be prepared for that. Be diligent throughout, and before you know it, the wall will be built, and the victory will be the Lord's. Final thing here.
Okay. I got something to say. David Childers. Don't you ever let anyone tell you that you're under par, second rate, or inferior. I just watched God do a miracle through you. I saw a field of giants, 85 of them to be exact, fall in defeat. Now you tell me what's impossible with God. Nothing, Coach. Zach, I just watched you and the offense do what they said could not be done. Now you tell me what's impossible with God. Nothing, Coach. Brock, how about it? Built that stone wall, didn't you? And it stood. Now you tell me what's impossible with God. Nothing, Coach. How about it, Scott? What's impossible with God? Nothing. Are you sure? Because those giants are big. They are numbers three to one. Are you sure there's nothing impossible with God? I'm sure, Coach. How about it, Nathan? What's impossible with God? Nothing, Coach. Jonathan? Nothing. Are you positive? Positive, Coach. So am I. So am I. God can do whatever he wants to do, however he wants to do it. And he chooses to work in our lives because he loves us, because he's good. Hope today is a milestone for what he can do for the rest of your life if you trust him. And we spend some time thanking him. So let me ask you, Impact Church, what's impossible with God? Oh, you can do better than that. Say it like you believe it. What's impossible with God? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing's impossible when God is behind you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this group, Lord. Thank you for the hearts like I've never seen, never, ever been a part of, Lord. Uh, Lord, thank you for letting us partner up with you for the impossible. And God, you know my heart because you made my heart, Father. And even with all my defects and everything, thank you for letting me lead this church. Thank you for the opportunity for this thrilling adventure, Lord. And, and Lord, thank you that we don't get to partner up with you in things that we can look at and go, oh, I can do that in my own strength. But we, we get to partner up with things that we look at and go, this is not going to happen. This is impossible. But because you are there leading the way, it's really you doing it. We just are along for the ride, God. But what a ride. What a privilege and what a ride. What an opportunity. Help us to know what we have here at Impact Church. Never take it for granted, Lord. God, I pray that we would know the best is yet to come and to hold on for this ride, Lord, because I think it's going to be a good one. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.